our study of Acts. Um, this is a, a great passage, and a whole lot is going on here. R.C. Sproul, a great theologian who's going to be with the Lord, he says this is the most important chapter in all of Acts, and perhaps one of the most important in all of the New Testament. Uh, and so we're going to explore why he might say that. Uh, we're going to read it in its entirety. It's one big story, so we need the, the flow of it all. Uh, so we're going to start in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius! And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men uh, to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, has, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he, this is Peter, invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up! I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with you or to visit anyone of another nation. But... God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. 
Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear what you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had, gone, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. Increase our thankfulness for it today as we study it. We ask that by your spirit you would help us to understand, grant anointing to us. We need you, Lord, for both the hearer and the preacher alike. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. You know, sometimes we can't fully understand or appreciate the importance of an event if we're not part of the crowd, you know, part of the culture. We understand something important going on, but we can't quite figure out how important it is. Let me tell you a story to that effect. Once I was on a mission trip to a country in Southeast Asia. For two weeks, we were there teaching English as a way to share the gospel. And one morning, I walked into the lobby of the hotel where we were staying, and there was a man. There was a man doing something that was probably one of the strangest sights I've ever seen. Now, it wasn't something from the Orient. It wasn't something that was um, from the culture of the country I was in. No, this was one of the men that I had traveled with. He was an American. He was a member of my church. And there he was, sitting in a red vinyl chair. I will never forget this sight. And he was drinking, you ready for this? A Diet Pepsi. Now, if, if that's all you know of the situation, that doesn't seem very strange. Until you know who this man was. His name was Marvin Carroll. And he was a former owner of the Coca-Cola bottling plant in Montgomery. And we had been talking on our trip every day how much he was craving a Diet Coke. And they didn't have them in China, uh, Southeast Asia. They could not be purchased. 
And day after day, he held out. He had never once tasted a Pepsi in his entire life. And then I walk in. There he is. And y'all, he was enjoying that Diet Pepsi. I have a picture of it. If you didn't know what was going on, you wouldn't fully understand the importance of this event. And that's a lot of like what's going on in our text today. The text today is, is, far more, is about far more than the breaking down of food barriers between Gentiles and Jews. It's not, it, the most important thing here is not that Jews can suddenly eat pork barbecue or eat at George's. Like, those are good things, but that's not really fully what's going on. Rather, all the separation laws in the Old Testament that kept Jews and Gentiles apart in one fell swoop have been done away with. For 1,400 years... Codified in God's law was the statement that Jews and Gentiles, they had to be separate. And now all of a sudden, that changes. This was a monumental event and it had huge ramifications for the church. We're going to talk about those things this morning. Well, in our text this morning, there are, are two main characters. And we're introduced first to Cornelius. As our text opens, he is a Roman centurion in the city, the port city of Caesarea. Caesarea is an important place. It was the capital city of the province of Judea, where the Roman governor had his palace and headquarters. And they didn't have just any old uh, soldiers there. It was kind of like a marine recon unit. It was the Italian cohort. Uh, there would have been about 3,000 soldiers, and these were the best of the best. And, and of these best of the best, there was a man named Cornelius, and he was a centurion. A centurion was a non-commissioned officer in the sense that he wasn't nobility. Commissioned officers in the Roman military were appointed because of their family connections, but not so uh, the non-commissioned officers. But at the same time, he would have had a lot of responsibility about the responsibility of a captain in today's army. He was a man's man, right? You didn't get to be in the Italian cohort because you weren't good. He had seen a lot in his service to the Roman Empire. He'd probably been all over the world, and he had started as a grunt, and then he was suddenly over about a hundred other soldiers in one of the best known and one of the best units in all of the Roman Empire. But there was something different about this man. He wasn't like other centurions. He'd seen a lot. A whole lot. But he was a godly man. He was a devout man who was known as a God-fearer. This would have been a Gentile. A Gentile is someone who was not Jewish by ethnicity or descent. He was a Gentile who worshipped God, but the one true God. And so he would have attended synagogue, and he would have done a lot of the things required of Jews, but he, he did not go as far as to be circumcised. He was a godly man, but at the same time, he wasn't quite fully accepted within the synagogue. See, in the Old Testament, God had given the people of Israel, that is the physical descendants of Jacob, ceremonial laws that would keep them separate from the world around them. Now, Now, this would have been things like you couldn't eat, especially the dietary laws. You couldn't eat pork, right? Doesn't that sound terrible? You couldn't eat shellfish. Uh, a lot of things you could not uh, eat. But these things were not meant to make them feel better about themselves. These things were meant to keep them holy, right? To keep them separate from the world around them so that they might maintain their love for the Lord. But they had taken something that was meant to keep them holy and it made it into something that made them feel haughty. 
They looked at these things and their confidence was in the fact that, oh, we're not like you. It was meant to be like, Lord, help us not to adopt the practices of the nations around us and that we would turn away from you. Help us, Lord, we need help. And those things were like barriers there. Rather, they had turned it into, we are so much better than everybody else, like these Gentile dogs. Well, because of this, Cornelius, because he was not fully Jewish, he had not fully converted, uh, he would have been able to attend synagogue on Saturday mornings, but he would have never been invited into a Jewish person's home. And no Jew would have ever come into his home. To do so would have been rendered ceremonially unclean. And it was to such a man, this Cornelius, that God sent an angel telling him to send men to Joppa to get Peter. Peter had been down there, remember, because he had uh, been sent for and had been used by God to raise Dorcas or Tabitha, her other name, uh, from the dead. And when this angel appears, uh, hmm, Cornelius is terrified, as would you and I. Well, Joppa was about 30 miles away. Then about a 10-hour walk, there was a really good road between Caesarea and Joppa. And Peter's down there. He's been doing ministry and uh, he's been a part of every major expansion of the kingdom in Acts. We know, we've heard a lot about Peter. He, he was first found, well, it's not first found, we see him in um, Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, remember? He's, he's involved with the, the gospel going forth, the Holy Spirit coming amongst those of Jerusalem and Judea. That, by the way, is the first area that is mentioned by Jesus in Acts 1.8, the Great Commission. You shall first be all witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea. And then there was a second stage that Peter was also involved with when the Samaritans, that was the next thing Jesus said, the next region that would hear the gospel message, Peter had been sent down by, with John and they laid hands on the Samaritans who become Christians and they received the Holy Spirit. Well, there was a third group. There's one third and last group of people mentioned in God and Jesus' command to them that remains. And that was to the ends of the earth. And that's what happens today in our text. Where the ends of the earth begin to receive the gospel message and they receive the Holy Spirit just like everybody else. And so we would expect Peter to be the one to be involved. Well, we find Peter uh, up on the housetop of Simon the Tanner. Um, have you ever tanned a hide? I bet some Boy Scouts have, right? right? I remember we had uh, Indian days growing up at our, at our school, and we brought in someone who showed us how to tan a hide, and, and there were brains involved in this process. And it smelled to high heavens. You know, in those days, to be in contact with dead carcasses was to be rendered ceremonially unclean. And so this man lived by the seashore because all of the, well, leftovers had to go somewhere. And the sea breeze might help. But here is Peter staying with someone who's ceremonially unclean. Things are already starting to bust loose a little bit. And he, he goes up to the top of the house to pray. To walk along the roof was a common place for prayer in those days. And it says he's hungry. Perhaps he had been fasting. And as he calls down and says, Hey, is lunch ready yet? They're preparing it. He falls into a trance. He, he has a vision. And in this vision, a, a big piece of cloth, like a sheet or a sail, it's the same word in the Greek, is lowered from heaven to earth three times. And in this big sheet are animals, reptiles, and birds of all kinds. 
There are at least unclean animals in here in the sheet and perhaps clean ones as well, but the clean ones would have been rendered unclean by their presence with the unclean ones. But then Jesus tells them something rather strange. He says, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Now, his Lord and Savior, the King of the universe, has just told him to eat something that he had been forbidden to eat since childhood. Not only him, but his fathers and their fathers' fathers all the way back 1,400 years to the giving of the Levitical law. Right? He had been told to eat pork barbecue. Was, it was the worst thing you could do. It would have been reprehensible to Peter. When I was on that mission trip to Southeast Asia, someone shared some candy with me. Now, to refuse such a gift, it was a big deal. You cannot, someone says, hey, have this. This is one of our favorite candies. You can't say, no, no, I'm good. Which is, oh, was so what I wanted to say. And then when I ate it, I wish I'd said that. Right, as I bit into this chocolate, it wasn't filled with nougat. It wasn't filled with raspberry filling or cream. It was filled instead with rice wine. And to this day, I still get queasy when I think of this food. But, you know, Peter's um, view of pork wasn't because it didn't taste good. Rather, he'd always been told, you cannot eat this. And so you've got to understand Peter's response here in verse 14 then. It makes a little more sense when he says, by no means, Lord. What has just happened? The God of the universe has just said, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter, praise God for Peter, right? He, he, he just reminds me so much of myself. And he says, by no means. You know, telling God no. Some shaky ground. Thankfully, Jesus is patient. And three times this happens. The sheet comes down. Jesus says, no, don't call anything that I have cleansed to be common or unclean. Well, here's the thing. There's more going on here than food. One of the reasons that Peter's so shell-shocked is because he would have understood this vision had much bigger implications than just what was for dinner, just the other white meat. Note Jesus' response, right? What God has made clean, do not call common. This was not about food. This was about people. R.C. Sproul in his commentary says this. He says, Peter's vision was not about food or animals. It was about people. Through the remainder of Acts 10, Luke will show why God repealed the dietary laws. It was to show that the unclean were being gathered together and made clean by Christ. I love that line. That the unclean were being gathered by Christ and made clean. Isn't that our common need? You know, 1 John 1.9 when it says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? To cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You know, sin makes us feel dirty. It renders us dirty, apart from Christ. And Christ not, offer, not only offers the cleansing blood of, of, of forgiveness, but He also offers the removal of that shame. That removal of that dirtiness that comes. Don't, have you ever felt unclean? Jesus has cleansed you. Has washed you by the water of regeneration. 
Well, even before the Lord had formally removed the barriers between Jews and Gentiles, there had never been any room for racism within the community of God's people. These, these laws were, were not meant to make the Jews feel better about themselves so that they might feel superior to other people. The call to worship we read this morning is called the, the Great Commission of the Old Testament. And it's talking about the nations going out and declaring to the nations what God has done. It's not metaphorical language. It's go and tell the nations, the Gentiles, what God has done. All the way back in, in Genesis where we have the call of Abraham. He was meant to, he and his people were meant to be a blessing for the nations. But instead, instead, the Jews had used these things, these distinctions, not as safety guards, but instead as reasons to consider Gentiles as dogs hated by God because of their Gentile birth. They had bathed their sinful hatred and prejudice in religious terms, which makes it all the worse, right? But it was racism nonetheless. This was never okay. It was never okay, but especially any kind of justification has been removed with this, right? That these separation laws are gone. There's There's no leg to stand on anymore. Never had been, but especially not now. By the way, this is where we're heading. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, gives us the, the vision of what heaven will be like. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. There's clear application here, by the way. Are there those whom we consider unclean because of their race, ethnicity, or nationality? Is there anyone whom we consider unclean because of their race, ethnicity, or nationality? That's excluded. It's not biblical. It's certainly not godly. Well, Peter wonders what this is all about. He hears a commotion out the gate and, uh, where the believing soldier and two servants of Come and the Holy Spirit assures them, go, it's okay. Then he actually invites these guys into the house of Simon the Tanner. Isn't the, I mean, these were Gentiles. Now, spending the night and breaking bread together with Jews, things were already beginning to break apart or be loosened up. So they arrive in Caesarea two days later. Right? And then we have this really awkward encounter between Peter and and Cornelius. Did you catch on to this as we were reading through? Uh, it's really awkward. Many commentators have noted this. That, uh, so Cornelius, what does he do? He bows down to worship Paul. I mean, Peter. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. I'm a guy too. I'm a man. Don't, don't worship me. But then Peter goes in, and what is the first thing uh, he says? He, what does he say? He says, you know how unlawful it is for me to be here? That's a great way to enter into somebody's home who has invited you there. I really shouldn't be here. Well, you think about this. There was going to be a certain amount of awkwardness, wasn't there? Because these folks had been diametrically opposed for 1,400 years and beyond. And suddenly, they were in the same house together, trying to learn how to relate to each other. It was a bit awkward. You know, awkwardness is okay. 
They told me in seminary, you know, in ministry you have to embrace awkwardness. You just got to get used to it. Awkwardness is all right. Awkwardness is not bad. Awkward is just awkward. And so when we gather with folks of other cultures, there, there are moments of awkwardness. Like, I don't know what to say here. You know what? Awkwardness is all right. We, we shouldn't run from awkwardness. There was certainly awkwardness here as these two groups reconciled, as they spent time together and talked about the Lord. We shouldn't be afraid of when we just don't really know what to do and what to say. That's okay. It really is. Well, in this small room are a small handful of Jewish Christians who have traveled with Peter, six of them, and then lots of Gentiles, relatives and friends with Cornelius. And Peter's the one who speaks and breaks the silence, and you know, he says, hey, you know, I, I, really, I really shouldn't be here. But then he finally gets down to the gospel. You think, okay, here's this guy coming, uh, tell us, Cornelius says, hey, tell us what God's commanded you. Is it going to be a different message? Or is it going to be the same message? It's a different group of people who don't have any access to the Old Testament. What's he going to say? And it's comforting to know that it's the same gospel message. Now, he, he explains it in some ways that it's not directly connected to the Old Testament, a background they didn't have. He puts it in, in terms and words that they can understand, but it's the same gospel message summarized in verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I think we have a lot to learn from this text about how two cultures can come together, even when there have been real hurts in the past. Here is a Roman centurion. You know how many bad things the Romans had done to the Jews? Even when there is bad blood and when there's been real hurt, real hurts in the past, what is it the only thing that brings cultures together where there is hurt and it is only the gospel? We have one need and one salvation. We have one need in that we are all sinners, born in this world, corrupted by sin, destined for hell. And there is but one solution, and that is Jesus Christ. Together we are transformed by the one gospel. Together we labor together for the expansion of the one kingdom. Are we willing to lock arms with brothers and sisters in Christ from other cultures and races in order to see Christ's kingdom grow? Because, y'all, heaven's not going to look like we look like today. There are going to be people from all nations, all tribes, all languages. It'll be beautiful. Well, as Peter is speaking, the Holy Spirit moves in their midst. And as the hearers believed on Christ in their hearts and they were converted, the Holy Spirit falls on them just like he had at the day of Pentecost. This is one of those Diet Pepsi moments. right? These are Gentiles. And suddenly, those who had had no access to the covenant of Abraham, according to the Jews, the Holy Spirit falls on them and they are speaking in tongues. And Peter's just kind of blown away. He says, who is to withhold water for baptism? The Holy Spirit has fallen on these folks as well. Well, God's plan from the very beginning, from the very beginning, was to bring the Gentiles into the fold. This was nothing surprising. If you'd read the, what had come before, if you knew the Old Testament, they should have known that this was coming. God told Abraham that through him the nations would be blessed. 
That's been God's overarching plan, but y'all, His plan is not complete. It's not complete. There remains one major event that is still to happen. Verse 42. And He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living, or the quick, the living and the dead. The biggest event to history to come, as we talked about with the children, is not our birthday, it's not our graduation, it's not our marriage or a marriage of a grandchild, it's not even our death, as big as that is. The biggest day that is to remain is Christ's return. All on that day, we won't be able to hide behind our works, our race, our ethnicity, our jobs, our performance, our religious performance like the Jews wanted to. We can only be hidden by the blood of Jesus. He has come to bring us salvation. Have you accepted Christ as the Lord and Savior that He is? He is Lord and Savior, whether we accept Him or not. We don't make Him Lord and Savior. He is. He is Lord of all. But have you turned to Him and asked Him to forgive you of your sins and trusted in Him for salvation as you've turned away from your sin? It's a free offer for you today. Even as we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. So Father, we thank You for Your love for us that is not based on anything in us. Lord, then we ask that You would help us to see others as You see them, even as we yearn for the day of Christ's return. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.